So glad that you are with us this week. We're going to read from Revelation 3, verse 20 through 22 to start us out today. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Let's worship together and invite the Holy Spirit to be with us today. Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, we only want to hear your voice. We're hanging on every Spirit of the living God, we want to know you more and more. We're hanging on every word. Cause when you speak, when you move, when you do what only you can do, it changes us, it changes what we see and what we see. When you come in the room, when you do what only you can do it changes us it changes what we see and what we see Spirit of the living God, 
Spirit of the living God, we only want to hear your voice. We're hanging on every word. Your love is life and breath and peace. Your love brings hope and grace to me. Your love, your never-ending love, it's pure and kind and powerful. It heals, restores, and covers me.
just for a moment, just sit and thank him for his love. Sit in the, the depth of his grace, the riches of his love and his mercy today that are new every morning. Lord, we believe, help us to receive today. Help us to receive you anew. Come be with us. Come nourish our souls by the power of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Hello, ladies of Women's Bible Study. It is such an honor to be here and, and so delighted to get to teach out of Acts for you wonderful women. And I just want to give a special thanks to Coley, Jill, and Renee for inviting me to speak today. I also understand that there are women here that are gathering uh, that don't necessarily go to CA. So I just want to especially welcome you and thank you for joining us. And also a special welcome, of course, to the women of CA. Now, before I jump into the study, I just wanted to introduce myself, um, just because you probably don't know me, some of you. Uh, my name is Sandy Lee Schaup. And my family and I have been here at Christian Assembly for 21 years, and we have raised our three kids here. Uh, Mark, who is 22 and about to just get married in next month. Uh, David, who's 19. Stephanie, who is 16. And my husband and I have worked for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for 27 years, and we are missionaries of our church here, and they support us. We are so grateful for that. We also lead the multi-ethnic learning community that we started about four years ago to be a safe space to talk about what it means to be a multi-ethnic community and a multi-ethnic church. So Coley asked me to speak on Acts 6 to 7. Now it's a really long section, <laughs> just like many of the chapters in Acts are. And so Coley said it'd be all right if I just chose a smaller section that I felt like God was putting on my heart to teach on. So that's what I'll do. I am going to focus primarily on Acts 6, 1 through 7. Now the theme of this session of women's Bible study is be the church. And today's passage gives us some really important lessons of what it means to be a thriving, healthy church. Now I really love this passage that has been a passage that has shaped my heart and pers perspective on being a healthy church. Um, it's also a little bit hard to understand, and it can be a little bit challenging. And so let's ask Jesus to help us take this word in um, and help our hearts to receive it. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to be in your word together. Would you open and soften our hearts to whatever you have for us? And if at any point we feel challenged or uncomfortable, would you help us to press into you and allow you to speak to our souls? We love you, Jesus. Amen. Now, before I jump into um, Acts 6, I just want to point out three things about this church uh, that are important to, to notice before we jump into chapter 6. This community, first of all, this community practices radical generosity and trust of God with their resources. There is this spirit of, you know, I don't own my own house. This is God's house to be used for God's purposes. 
like people with houses and properties and possessions all sell them to share with the community and everything is held in common and no one no one has needs this is a beautiful radical community and this radical sharing of resources is another example of the work and the power of the holy spirit now number two Coley explained in week three that people have traveled from all over to celebrate Pentecost in Jerusalem. And then all these peoples who are from other countries have stayed and have made it their community. So it's this vibrant, wonderful mix of a lot of cultures and ethnicities. And now this isn't just surface diversity where just a bunch of different people are happen to be hanging out. They are living like family. Now third, this community was spirit-filled and fully living out God's kingdom in such a way that it is super attractive. People want to be a part of this, and God adds to this community every day, daily. So we have this amazing community, and now we're going to see how they grow even more, especially after they navigate a potentially explosive situation. So let me read to you Acts 6, 1 through 7. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It is not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parnaeus, and Nicholas, from Antioch, a convert of Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a number of priests became obedient to the faith. So as we dig into this passage, I'm going to be pointing out four lessons along the way that we can learn from this Acts community. Luke begins chapter 6 by explaining this big problem that gets brought to the attention of the apostles. Hebraic Jews are being fed, but the Hellen- I'm sorry, Hebraic widows are being fed, but the Hellenistic widows are going hungry. Now Hebraic Jews are the local Jewish people, those that are from Jerusalem. The apostles are all Hebraic. So you could say that they are the Jewish insiders. And then the Hellenists are the ones who have traveled to Jerusalem from all over. They're the international Jews. And you could say that they are the outsiders. Now this community has inadvertently set up a system that favored, that created favoritism. They were meeting the needs of the vulnerable insider widows, but not feeding the vulnerable outsider widows so it could feel like you got fed if you were part of the insider group but you went hungry 
if you were not. And this favoritism wasn't random, it fell precisely along ethnic and cultural lines. Now this is a huge deal because widows were one of the most vulnerable people in that society. Women can't own property. So when the husband dies, these women have no security. They would be entirely dependent on other people. So this is a really serious problem. They are not able to eat. Now, how could this be happening? This must come as a surprise to them because this is the same community that I was just describing, right? They, how did they go from that kind of community where no one had needs, they were sharing generously. How could they go from that to having widows not getting their basic needs met? Now, I don't know about you, but I remember first time as I was understanding what was happening, it was kind of jarring to see this happening in this community. Now, no one was it intentionally neglecting Hellenistic widows, but the system was inadvertently set up that automatically favored the Hebraic widows because the 12 apostles were all Hebraic. There was this unequal power between the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. There was no representation for the Hellenistic widows because none of the 12 apostles of the community were Hellenists. Even in the midst of this amazing community, there was bias and favoritism in the apostles that gets exposed through their overlooking the needs of the Hellenistic widows. Their blinders got inadvertently embedded into the system of food distribution. Now this is a really excellent biblical example of what systemic injustice is. If someone ever asks you what the biblical basis for understanding systemic issues is systemic injustice, open up Acts 6 with them. Now, let me point out some of the points from this passage, the four points. Point number one, every person, every leader, every church has bias. Let me say that again. Every person, every leader, every church has bias. And let me just define bias for you. It means um, a prejudice in favor for or against one thing, person, or group compared with another, usually in a way considered to be unfair. Now, the New Testament word for bias is partiality, which will be a term that Luke uses a little bit later in Acts. And sometimes this partiality can be tra uh, translated as favoritism. So bias, partiality, favoritism are fairly interchangeable words, and so I will use them interchangeably. So as I said, every person, every leader, every church has bias. Just like all of us struggle with selfishness, impatience, we also struggle with the sin of partiality. It is just part of our fallen human nature. And now why is this point important to notice? Let me tell you four reasons. One, because the apostles probably did not view themselves as influenced by their partiality. After all, they, imagine, remember all the fruit of their lives. They are godly, spirit-filled. They did miracles. Two, when the leaders, 
do not see themselves as biased by partiality, they also don't see the ways that their bias get re reflected in the system, in the structure. And three, this invisible bias in the church leads to injustice, which hurts people like the vulnerable Hellenistic widows. And then four, since this is true of the 12 apostles, it's true of us too. Even the leaders who walked with and who were directly discipled by Jesus when he walked the earth, even these leaders had biases. So we shouldn't be surprised about the reality that we all have biases. In fact, let's be humble, humble ourselves and assume that we have biases that we are blind to. Amen? So, what do they do with this major problem? The solution they come with is brilliant. And let me explain to you why. They steer into this community and they create an all-play town hall meeting, empowering the whole community to help decide who will oversee the food distribution. And in doing so, the apostles give over some of their power and leadership and authority to others. First, by calling the community to help pick the leaders who will oversee the food distribution. And then they give the authority to the group of seven who ends up overseeing the food distribution. Now, who do they pick and what is the significance? They are people known to be full of the spirit and wisdom with character and deep connection with God as the apostles asked them to use as a criteria. But the other thing to know, which we wouldn't, be, wouldn't be obvious to us, is that all the names of those picked are Hellenist names. Now, I didn't know this when I first read this passage years ago when I studied it until I read a commentary on it. So it's not obvious, but they are all Hellenist names and all Hellenists. They are all from this outsiders group. So they chose and empowered people from the community that was most negatively impacted by this broken system. And by giving power to the Hellenists, they share leadership to change the status quo in Jerusalem. What was previously a Hebraic-dominated culture is now being balanced by bringing a whole team of Hellenist leaders, and not just one Hellenist, but a whole team of seven of them. Now, point number two. Sharing leadership is a powerful way to resolve systemic injustice. Sharing leadership is a powerful way to resolve systemic injustice. God's kingdom includes people of all different cultures and ethnicities, not just in participation, but also in leadership. Those who make decisions for the community, not just surface diversity, but truly a multi-ethnic kingdom. Now, what impact does this decision to share power and leadership have on the community? Verse 7 says, So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a, even a large number of priests become obedient to the faith. Now, verse 7 starts with the so. It is a logical connector. The so tells us that whatever comes before is what causes what comes after. So the 
Luke, the author of Acts, is making the point that God honors this community and honors how they handle this injustice within their own community and anoints them for even more breakthroughs and growth, even amongst the most resistant to the Gospels, um, like the priests were. So isn't that so cool that how they dealt with injustice leads them to even more growth and more fruit? Now, point number three, evangelism, ethnic reconciliation, and justice are all integrated as part of the kingdom. This has always been true, and it's always meant to be true. It is always meant to be that way. Sometimes I hear Christians say, oh, you know, let's not get into this justice stuff, this racial reconciliation stuff. Let's just focus on the gospel. But here in this passage, we see that God never intends intends those things to be side issues, extracurricular activity. They are all integrated to be part of the gospel. So let me say that again. Evangelism, ethnic reconciliation, and justice are all integrated as part of the kingdom of God. Now let me just point out one thing to you. Some of you may not be aware But currently, there are many, many young people that are turned off by the church, the big C church, that focuses only on preaching the gospel, but seem to be ignoring issues of racial injustice. To them, we are irrelevant. When we live out the kingdom and the gospel in the way that God intends us to, integrating evangelism, ethnic reconciliation, and justice, we would be a draw. We would have the aroma of Christ. If we insist on just focusing on the gospel and not, and leave out key parts of the kingdom of God, are we really teaching the gospel? Are we really preaching the gospel? Not according to this word. So let's live out Acts 6 and be the church and have the true aroma of Christ. Now, what are the implications for us from this passage? There are a lot that we can learn from these different points, but due to limits of time, let me just focus on two things. We all have biases. Number one, we all have biases just like the apostles. How we allow Jesus, how do we allow Jesus to reveal our biases? And then number two, Who are the Hellenistic widows among us who are being overlooked in our communities? So let me start with the first one. How do we see, how do we discover where we have biases and what do we do when we see them? Um, I grew up in a very proud Korean family. Although we immigrated from Korea when I was four, um, I grew up regularly hearing from my mom, Koreans, number one. My mom was quick to always tell us, you have to be the best because you are the best. And so she had some uh, partiality. (laughs) I also grew up hearing at times negative comments about other ethnic groups. And inadvertently, I took in some of those opinions and it formed biases in my heart. For example, I had never had a black friend uh, growing up in Glendale there were very few black students at my schools. And so with the lack of black friends, unconsciously, I took in these negative messages from the media and news 
which portrayed black people as dangerous and violent. When we would drive through certain neighborhoods, um, my mom would make sure that our car doors were locked and, and windows closed. And so that reinforced that stereotype in me. And since I didn't have any personal experiences otherwise, those biases were just left unchecked, unchallenged. Now in college, I became really good friends with and mentored by a black older student named Kevin. And he taught me about God's heart for justice and the reality and the history of racism in our country. And he would explain how that would directly impact the black and Latino students who were at our college. God nurtured compassion in me for my fellow students. And all this really changed me forever. I began to see how our country in particular has such deep, deep roots of anti-black bias and racism. My close friendship with Kevin and all that I was learning started to unearth the bias and the stereotypes and the racism that I had carried of black people. So while I was building the relationships with my black and Latino friends, I was often in spaces where I was the only Asian person around. And when I was out of my comfort zones, I noticed that sometimes those biases came up as I noticed things. God revealed to me my partiality. I began to realize that the biases I held of black people did not match who I knew Kevin to be. So as Jesus revealed to me my biases, I repented of them and Jesus replaced them with the truth of the experiences of Kevin that I was having as a kind, empowering, generous friend who was also very deeply committed to Jesus. And for the next 20, for the next 33 years, God has continued to reveal my partiality and I continue to repent and ask God to replace them with the truth, the reality of the real people that I know and that I have the honor to know. Real experiences with compassionate, intelligent, hardworking, long-suffering, amazing friends of all different ethnicities and cultures. Now, would you be willing to ask Jesus to reveal your partiality? Would, who might you have a bias against? This could be a particular person or it can be an ethnic group or a racial group. So Jesus, would you just be stirring in us even now as we ponder this question. And how about as communities? Who are the Hellenistic widows among us who are being overlooked? Let me tell you about my friend, Sharon. Sharon started attending a new church for two months, but was having a really hard time connecting and meeting people. But then she heard about a weekend women's retreat and she decided to take a risk and go even though she didn't know anyone. When she came to the main session, she was one of those early ones to sit down. Um, so there were many open seats right around her. And as more and more people were coming in, they were excited and they were chatty and there's a lot of hugging going on. Um, and even though the room was starting to fill up, the seats near her were still empty. And she did notice one thing, that maybe she might've been the only black person in the room maybe one of two. 
Now, as the session was starting, an Asian woman named Nicole came and sat next to her and introduced herself to Sharon. And Nicole got to know Sharon and they got to chat for a little while. And Sharon told Nicole this was her first time at the retreat and that she didn't know anyone. So when the session was over, before leaving her seat, Nicole asked Sharon for her contact info and asked, would it be okay if I reached out to you and invited you over for a meal or something? And so they did. And over time, they became good friends. When I asked Sharon about this experience, about her reflections about that retreat, she shared with me um, how she noticed how different her experience was compared to a friend named Kelly, who she invited to church. Sharon introduced Kelly, who happens to be white, uh, to a few other people at that service. But within a month, it struck Sharon how Kelly got so easily connected at the church compared to when Sharon was first attending the same church. Kelly got invited to a small group. Leaders were reaching out to her. She was being invited to social events. Um, these were all things that didn't happen for, Sh for Sharon. So upon reflection, it made Sharon sad, and she wondered if it was because she's black. I imagine how Sharon felt at her church and at this retreat may be how the Hellenist widows were feeling, seeing other people getting the kind of treatment that they wish that they had and feeling overlooked. It must have been painful for the Hellenistic widows as it was for Sharon. Now, while I was studying this passage for this teaching, this experience of the Hellenistic widows reminded me of Sharon's experience at that first retreat and also when she was newer at the church. Again, it's not like anyone was intentionally trying to make her feel unseen or unwelcome, but there seemed to be a culture that was making it more welcoming for Kelly, a white woman, and inadvertently overlooking Sharon. So who are the Hellenistic widows who are, we are overlooking in our spheres? If we're honest, this probably happens a lot in our churches, in our communities, in our workplaces. The majority of the women at this retreat were white and they were bonding and connecting with other white women. And that's common. We tend to gravitate towards people we're familiar with, people that we're comfortable with. But while we do that, we completely miss someone that God has put in our path because of our partiality. And because we're Christians, sometimes we can think, oh, of course we are going to treat everyone the same, but be blind to our partiality. Just like the apostles, the women at this retreat were biased towards people who were familiar, who were like them, and overlooked Sharon. So application, how about for us? Where are we blind? Where are we personally blind to our own bias? And who are the Hellenistic widows in our communities that are being overlooked? Now, if you don't mind, I am going to combine application with prayer. I would like for us to ask Jesus to reveal our biases. Would that be okay? Would you be willing to join me in asking Jesus to show us where we might be biased against certain people? So Jesus, thank you. 
thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth that gives us life, even though it can be uncomfortable. We know that you want us to be the church that you have created us to be. Would you show each one of us our biases? Show us our partiality. Show us where we show favoritism towards some and, and have bias against others. With certain people, we assume the best of them. We give them the benefit of the doubt. And then with others, we assume the worst and we don't give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's an ethnic group or a racial group that we judge. Maybe it's an ethnic group who has hurt us. Speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit. I'm just going to give you just a moment of silence to listen. Now, this is not to shame us, but to free us from the bias that keeps us from loving others and shuts down what God wants to do in our lives and in our churches. Jesus, how about within our communities and our churches? Who are the Hellenistic widows who are being overlooked at our churches? Does our community have a culture that makes it easier for some people to get connected like Kelly while we overlook people like Sharon? Jesus, would you bring someone or a group of people that you want us to take a risk to get to know, not to be a savior or a hero for them, but to live out repentance and to allow Jesus to transform us? It might mean entering into someone else's world and culture, allowing yourself to be displaced and be in the minority, especially if you are used to being in the majority. Now, I also want to speak to some of you who are, you are the Hellenistic widows who are being overlooked. You're forced to constantly be in other people's worlds by the fact that you are the minority in most places that you go every single day. So if that is you, this part about entering other people's worlds is not for you. For you, the risk of faith may be to trust and let some people into your world, to let others to get to know you. Maybe you're like Sharon and there's pain for you in the experience of your church. So maybe take the risk to allow your table group leader or your pastor know how you're feeling. Holy Spirit, would you minister to my sisters who are feeling this pain? Would you be their comfort and also change the community around them to truly be a multi-ethnic community where all voices are heard and all people are seen and cared for like the Acts community. And finally, Jesus, would you give us new experiences with people who we've been biased against? Replace our bias with truly seeing the image of God in those we've been biased against. Would you give us eyes to see where there's a system of injustice that we need to repent of and change in our communities? And so we pray this all in the name of Jesus in his wonderful, mighty name. Amen. Now, if you haven't yet, jot down 
the person or ethnic group that Jesus has brought to mind, go ahead and take a moment just to jot that down in your notes. I know that you'll also have some time in small groups at some point. Would you be willing to share, maybe in pairs, what you heard from Jesus about your bias and who you show favoritism to and who you are biased against? And remember, this is an act of repentance. Maybe share in what way you feel nudged by God to take a risk, to initiate with someone or some group in particular. Um, And for some of you, like I said, maybe your risk is to allow others in, to allow others into your life. Would you all be willing to have these brave conversations? And lastly, it's not enough for us to have individual change and repentance. Where there is injustice in the culture of our community and our church, we also need to name, address those injustices that are happening just like in the Acts church. We must, if we are truly to live out what it means to be the church, to be who God has intended us to be. If you are a leader or a pastor of a church and want to discuss what this could mean for your church and how to go about it, I'd be happy to talk with you. You can let me know. This Acts church was amazing, but still messed up. And we are messed up too. But God can work through our brokenness and our sin. So, ladies, can we deal with our own biases and examine where there may be systemic injustice in our communities? Each one of us can be part of this change and transformation. This is a timely word for all of us in the midst of all the racial tension in our country. So let's do this. Amen? Amen. Amen.